0: All right, welcome back, everyone, to the final endgame. I guess there can only be one endgame of Coffeehouse Blunders, the Queen's Gambit Breakdown. As always, I am James DeMontemagno, chess expert, as Danny once told me on the Internet, so (laughs) it makes it official. Um, And, as always, one of my best friends in the entire world, international chess master and chief chess officer of chess.com, Danny Wrench. Danny, how's it going?
1: Oh man, it is going great, and uh, once again, an incredible, incredible intro by the guy that is uh, the voice of the voice and the host of this show and Batman by Night. I will say, once you say it on the internet, it's official. So you are a chess expert, and you delivered yet again here in our prep for this final episode. But, um, dude, you already know I'm pumped. I won't repeat things I said off air until it's appropriate to say them on air. Now that we're recording, but I will just say that I, I binged. Yet again, last night, episode six and seven, because I wanted to watch episode seven, but Shauna had not seen episode six. So that means I watched episode six and seven again. I have now seen episode six four times, which as good as that episode is, I'm 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 good now. I've now seen it enough times, but I am super pumped to talk about episode
0: seven. But you're done. So you're, you're done. You're done. Uh, all-
1: yeah. And I'm not done in a bad way. It honestly, again, like made me appreciate Everything I said in last week's episode, so I won't say it again, but just, you know, the, the, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy's, you know, just her, like the way she did chess. And actually my wife taught me something about episode six that I didn't know. Cause I was saying like, Hey, look, when she does this, like, that's a little awkward, but like, look how, like how confident and smooth, like she, she really became a real chess player. And Shauna said, which I didn't know, Anya Taylor-Joy's background is actually as a dancer, even before her acting career blew up. Mm. And that the way she approached her prep for the Queen's Gambit as an actress was she treated every chess game like it was a choreographed dance scene. So what she did was memorize all of the moves, not even so much as like the the chess, right? But just literally from like how she was going to play the moves, how she was going to play the pieces and the way her body language was going to be at the board. I didn't know that. So Shauna told me that, that she, because of her background in dance, um, that's the the approach she took to all of the chess scenes, treating them like they were a choreographed kind of dance segment from start to finish. So interesting fact.
0: Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I did not did not know that. Yeah, I I was informed as well of some some facts that we missed by my wife wife's. You know, just this. Should, I just told Heather, I said, you should just do the podcast with Shauna. I don't know why we're doing it. Um, <laughs> or why we're doing this. Um, but we open up on a flashback, um, as we do on every episode of The Queen's Gambit, basically. Not, not to mention that it's it's. We do get flashbacks of Beth's past in the very beginning, of the very first episode. We actually get a flashback to Paris. So you know, they kind of continue this trend. Now, now this gives us a lot more insight into. Beth uh, and Alice, her mom herself, Alice driving to Beth's dad's house where he is remarried with children, attempting to give back uh, Beth. And, you know, as they drive away and um, her dad says, no, get out of here. Why did you bring her here? You know, know, Beth asks, who was that? What was that? And she goes, this is where Heather's facts comes in. She goes, oh, that was a mistake a rounding error and that rounding error is an important part because why would you say rounding error, right? Well, actually what we missed out on and didn't mention and maybe, you know, already, but apparently Alice, she was either a math teacher or a mathematician because she actually wrote a book that I believe in episode one was like laid on the ground and had her name on it. And I completely missed that fact. And that's where we had a whole conversation about, we weren't sure about Beth's dad at all. Um, but where maybe she got some of this analytical mathematician like smarts for for the chess right. we talked about math quite a bit in the beginning and how good she was at it in the classroom. But that was some of the background there that I totally that, missed. That's
1: also well. First of all, that's awesome, and thank you to Heather. And I actually screwed that up because I, I I either misread something or misinterpreted something. I thought the father was like the mathematician. Or, remember, I was saying that in the early thing that like I think she got math from like her dad or or something. But actually, that makes total sense, and it also is more more in line, I guess, with that dynamic between Beth's genius and her trauma, right? Which really is pretty much all directly related to her mother, right? And and she inherited, you know, her mother's incredible genius. And flashing forward to this episode, which we'll back up, but we already know, like, her and Jolene visit, you know, this, this place where she grew up in this trailer, like, on a river, despite mentioning in that scene that her mother came from money and married money right but so mm-hmm. what happened right well clearly her genius kind of like drove her mad in some ways right and anyway that is that is super interesting and good um good heads up because that that whole scene in the car like it's i'm glad i saw it for the last time last night it's just so traumatizing and it and it never gives you completion like even in the end where like you know what's coming with the car wreck like the last thing that is said, and I believe this is the last time we see Alice in the entire series of season one, is she says, you know, now I got to figure out what to do. And, and, and Beth is like, with what? And she's like, with you. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's just sad. Just like your heart goes out and you just realize, you know, just the pain that this character has been dealing with in the entire in the entire show. So, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And it is a series of end games. Um, you know, this is pretty much the most literal name of the episode for every opening. There is an end game um as we like to say here on coffeehouse blunders it's the first time we've said it um but you know we we see an end game <laughs> opening,
1: first of all eat your heart out marvel we just you just crushed with every opening there is an end game that's better than anything dr strange said what did he say he's like we're in the end game now like whatever yeah, That not you, cool james montemagno <laughs> just crushed that
0: <laughs> that's what i do i've been i've been i've been sitting on that for a few days so um yeah you know we 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 see the the end game of alice and her dad, who, you know, basically just, you know, leave, you know, doesn't want to take her back. We see the end game of Alice and Beth. We see obviously the bigger end game uh, of Borgov as we get to later on. But we, you know, get to our first end game. Uh, a second end game, I guess, would be of Mr. Scheibel because Jolene is back and she showed up at the end of episode six and she didn't yep. come there just to party. She came there because uh, Mr. Scheibel has passed and she wanted to you know, inform Beth of this. And yeah, through this experience, you know, Beth is sort of a hot mess still at this point. Mm -hmm. And she has, for all intents, just really kind of given up on on everything. And she doesn't even know if she's going to go to Moscow. She doesn't know if she's going to go play the Soviets. And Jolene kind of, you know, brings her back. And through this tragedy of Mr. Scheibel, passing um re- reconnects the two of them and yep. for the better
1: i mean totally and and to break down some of the specific moments that happened there as you kind of yeah i mean that's the summary jolene shows up and kind of saves the day and i think it starts when you know the episode ended with her at the door then they're they're both kind of going to bed and it's, it's almost like it's reminiscent of when they were together right in the mm-hmm. in the catholic christian you know orphanage they grew up in right and and Beth is like, God, I got to stop the pills, I got to stop drinking. And Jolene's like, yeah, you think, right? Kind of yeah. thing, right? And then Jolene kind of like reveals that indeed she did steal the Modern Chess Openings book, right? Yeah. And gives Beth back the book that she took because she was jealous that she got adopted, right? And uh, And then the scene in the car like really left a mark for me because like, it was is that moment where Jolene's kind of sharing where she's at she's a paralegal right she's at this she's at this law office and she's trying to work her way up and 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 says you know i'm trying to get what you have kind of thing to Beth and and all these things for her and Beth is like looking at her and she's like you know you just don't you just don't know like you know or appreciate like you know basically you know what you represent or what you have and and your talent and all that stuff and i think that there's a lot of people that have said this to Beth over the entire like series right uh, in different ways whether it's like the admiration she's gotten from her, from her male peers, like the Beltics and, 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 and Benny, right. Or there's the, you know, just people that, you know, there's even, um, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the name, but the girl in episode six, who kind of comes and says she's pre-med the first girl she beat, uh, anyway, um, that, that, that young woman. Right. But I think coming from Jolene, it's like a bit of a wake up call because it was like a, hey we come from the same place and you don't have like the self pity card over me kind of thing and and sometimes that could just be super powerful where because like literally anybody in life can can wallow and focus on what's you know on their their negative story or they can make a choice and focus on on basically what's in front of them and find some sort of empowerment from what they've been through and when you when you talk to a peer who like kind of like you don't have it over in terms of like yourself pity story of the pain you've been through. I think sometimes that can be really impactful because it's not with like a lack of empathy that Jolene kind of calls her out. She understands what she's been through, but it's kind of like, hey, but what are you going to do about it? Right. And I feel like the whole episode is just the tone that's set there is super powerful. And and then we're on this journey where they, you know, they go back to the house and they're they're there to see, um, you know, or there to attend Mr. Scheibel's funeral.
0: Yeah. There I love the conversation, you know, that that night before and the car ride. I think you're right. It's sort of opening up Beth's eyes to, Hey, you don't know how good you have it, you know, in in fact, right? Like there's, there's, you know, not that, not that Beth didn't have to work at chess, but she was very naturally gift gifted on this. And there's a very funny quote that Beth says to Jolene, as Jolene is describing that she was in physical education. Then she was like interested in history. Now she's doing poli sci. She was going to go to law school and, you know, teach people. and, And Beth goes, I didn't know that, it could be a career choice. Um, to, like that could be a, be a career choice. be an
1: a- anarchist. Or what does she say? Uh, she's going to be a radical.
0: A radical. radical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, she, and she goes, "Oh, I didn't think that could be a career choice. And that's literally what Mrs. Scheibel said to Beth about being a chess player. Ah,
1: yeah. I didn't catch that. Remember? That's, like, uh...
0: yeah, like, like she didn't know, like it was very similar phrase basically. So in that situation, it was fascinating because there obviously is a lot of, uh, uh, Mrs. Wheatley. I mean, uh, Mrs. Wheatley in, in bath, obviously. And yeah. I remember like af- when Beth went to go play her very first games, she's like, Oh, I didn't know that could be, you know, that, 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 that could be a career choice. that was something that you could do. Right. And that there was money in this and right. And then there's kind of this Beth kind of saying it there. And then the car ride happens. And I think that that sort of opens her eyes up a little bit more like, Oh, like you can do this. And this is a thing. And this, you know, right. is, is good, but yeah, you're right. Then they go back to the house and I wrote down exactly what you said, which was, yeah, I, I'm still fascinated. Like what was, I, I want to Alice spin off?" and some I know, weird way. I an
1: and, and also it's, it's, it's as much as we, um, obviously in the chess world, you know, to, to go back to, to business real quick, clearly the whole chess world has benefited from, you know, the Queens gambit boost. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's reignited interest of those who forgot they had it. And of course brought new people in but we've uh, the nat- the discussion naturally happens like hey i wonder if they're going to do a sequel right and um, people are like no the whole thing is based on the book there's no sequel at whatever and i think it was our chief of product said i'll give you 13 reasons why there could be a sequel mm-hmm. right and of course 13 reasons why was literally talk about a show that was supposed to be one season and from start to finish had it had a beginning and an end, right? It's literally based on, unfortunately, you know, a suicide, right, of of yeah. the main character, and they turned it into what four or five seasons, yeah. And the and, and I, no one really cares about. It. Forget like the the interest of chess and why it might be really cool if this became a long running thing for the for the growth of chess. But regardless of that, there are some things they do that potentially plant the seed, like Alice's storyline, because they they don't even bring conclusion, right? They say like, hey, she came from money, she married money. And then like Jolene's like, what happened? And I believe Beth is like, well, it's complicated, right? And that's kind of it. And so you're 100% right. I was like, man, like, I want to know what happened there. How did we get here?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, missing elements in this story arch, even though we do learn so much more, and we we get to some end games, sometimes we don't know how we get there, you know? (laughs) That's life. Oh man, I want endgames.
1: This is gonna, I want to do a running bet with me and you, like meow. Like, how many times can you naturally fit endgame into your daily life? And if you like whatever the bounty is, I will pay it. Okay, (laughs) that is so good. Sorry, go
0: ahead. Well, as we know, uh, Mr. Scheibel has played his final move, and his (laughs) endgame is here (laughs) at the funeral, and uh. They're uh, sitting there and, oh, and this is kind of a sad scene. It, it's it's yeah. sort of, I think every I, I don't know if everyone, at least me, I've, I've thought about this, like is, what if I die? Like who's going to show right. up at my funeral, right? right. I mean, I'm going to be cremated, but you know, it's like, you know, who's, yeah, exactly. who's going to be there and no one's there from the home. And like they're, they're sitting there, no one's crying. They're pointing it out and they say, you know, it looks like they're all or best as it, it looks like they're ready to go to the bank, you know, and cash right. in on whatever Mr. Scheibel has. I don't know. That's a super sad scene. Um, yep. and, um, after that, they go back to the home. So they kind of went to the home. They didn't want to go in. And then they went to the funeral. They go back to the home. And Beth's like, I want to go. It's go time. And this is, I mean, just to me, this is a super emotional scene. I played it back a few times. You know, Beth walks down into the, you know, we find out that a lot has happened in the house, right? Yep. Um, Some of the people are gone. The the, the, the
1: lady broke her hip, right? Um, But she's still around, kind of old and ornery
0: yeah Um, yeah super yeah yeah, worse almost now um and then yeah she goes down into where she goes down into the basement where it all started she sat sits at the table she kind of takes it all in and then she sees this beautiful um you know memory board or whatever this like all these paper clippings of of Beth's journey yeah
1: Yeah. wow and it's 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 a super i mean i got emotional right there you know we're like you realize, like, you know, obviously Mr. Scheibel was the closest thing she ever had to a father, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he followed every bit of her life, right? And then she finds this picture of, which he, where he looks kind of like just, you know, just, it's so funny how he looks like almost shocked, but that someone's taking a picture in the photo, which I loved. And then you've got, Beth behind him with like her hand on his shoulder, like, and like, and it represents, it was a very awkward relationship, but also like a super intimate one. And, uh, and then it's like, you finally get the release. Like she finally like breaks down, right. Like, and kind of cries. And, you know, obviously she's mourning the loss of Mr. Scheibel, but it's like so much more than that. Right. I mean, especially the way they, they, they set the tone with the fact that she didn't have a dad and and the way her, her mother and father handled her. And, and then, uh, You know, for her to really just like finally like mourn a little bit instead of like, you know, suppressing, which is like literally what the character has done the entire series. Right. Like now she's like breaking down and like acknowledging, you know, that she's just sad. Right. And then you got Jolene there. So comforting her.
0: Yeah, there's always real moves leading up to the end game, and that's what we see. Um, you know, we we, we get sipping a- the
1: coffee here. By the way, this is a great morning. You and I have not recorded many of the shows this season in the morning, which I know it's House blunder. So, so I want to share cheers. real quick that I I drank this coffee, blue bottle, um, out of my December coffee dripper by gotten for me by my bestie here, James wow. Montemagno, and wow. so I today I am drinking, I'm drinking some good blue bottle from uh, Ethiopia yeah i forget exactly the farm but i love the blue bottles come with the uh, the breakdown the story of where this coffee came from anyway totally digressing into old school coffee house blunders but really enjoying this cup of joe as we as we make our final moves and transition from the middle to the end game i'm going to let you do it it's awkward when i do it
0: it is it is. It, it, it just doesn't work, doesn't work No, i'm just yeah. kidding. um i will say that yeah i i also the reason i was 15 minutes late is i needed to to make some coffee i needed to get into the mindset um, here, because we see um, a little crusade coming to an end game, because the Christian Crusade no longer in best life. We are back, and you know, best got to get to Moscow. Like that is sort of this. Well, but there, there's piece. a whole
1: breakdown that happens with the Christian Crusade, right? We should mm-hmm. probably, I mean, because I talked about how like the parallel again to Bobby Fisher was that he would turn away sponsors, and and again, I. I, I couldn't remember if there was like literally a direct reference to like a Christian crusade and obviously, you know, uh, communism being directly associated with atheism and, and Marxist, uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing. Right. But there's that scene where like, cause remember they paid her way to San Francisco yep. and, and that was already too late. Right. She did that and went, and now she's in a spot where they're like telling her the things she needs to say on their behalf. And she's like, I'm not going to say this crap. Right. Yeah. And, and then she has to give them back the money which is a huge thing because that whole process is like, she's having these conversations with Benny on the phone and you're kind of proud of Beth for doing this, like doing what's right. But also like, you can see that, you know, Benny who just wants nothing but her chest success is also super frustrated with how they got here. And, you know, just that whole dynamic, I think is important, especially because of where we know the episode ends with ultimately, you know, the, the, the band gets back together. Right. But I think that the, the road they had to go through with like Beth, Crying and mourning, and then having integrity and giving this money back. But then, like, also just because you do that in life doesn't mean everything's happy again. Like, she still had to feel the consequences of her actions, and like, she pretty much almost ruined her relationship with Benny, right? Not just like as like you know, lovers, but also just as a friend, right? He was like, So I think that there's because that scene where like he hangs up on her, like where she's sitting on the staircase talking, it was like. It was like like she needed to like find her own way again. And Mm -hmm. and she ends up relying on Jolene because you realize like even though she's kind of backgrounded and doing the right things now, she's made like a ton of mistakes because of her because of her substance abuse.
0: You know, there there were definitely some blunders leading up to this point. And, (laughs) you know, I think I think that, uh, you know, I I do love that the scene of the Christian because you're right. You know, she stood her her moral high ground and said, you know, I I'm not going to do that. And it's going to cost her, right? Because they had already invested significant money. And she's like, I'll just, well, whatever. I'll just pay you all back, right? And we know that Beth obviously has some money. But it, as we find out, it's not that much. Well, um, leading back to the house. Because yep. she, she bought the house. She updated the house. She tells Benny that she's been, you know, keeping the house uh, um, updated. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great scene because I, I do sort of feel like, hey, if you don't want to be a pawn in someone else's structure. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? <laughs> Is that a good thing? I mean, uh, right? I mean, you don't you don't want to be on that e file and then all of a sudden, boom. Um, I don't know what happens. Anyway, so anyways, what I'm saying is you don't want to be someone else's pawn, right? And that's sort of how this was going down. And, you know, Beth's like, No, I'm not gonna do that. And I do love the Ben she calls Benny and Benny's like, I don't got the money. She's, just, she's like, What do you mean you gotta go got the money? He's like, I don't got the money, right? Whether he has the money or not, we don't know. Right. Um, she does call him out for maybe gambling it all, all the way. So, you know, right. that's not that's not a good look and um and he's like well, call the state department of the chess federation whatever he's pissed. he hangs up on her yeah and done right and yeah. uh and that that was that was awesome and and uh i mean luckily that wasn't the the end of that relationship um but it was close i mean you you i guess you know you there's only so many um straws before you break break right and um and benny was was pissed multiple times right i think that you know when when she left new york he thought that she was going to come back they, he, th- he thought that they had something yep um and they didn't so there's <laughs> i mean that happens uh uh so i mean i like that she did this and and it made this move i don't necessarily like that she you know pissed off Benny so much but luckily Benny's Benny and he just really wants he's here for the chess let's just be yeah honest.
1: he's here I mean he's here for the chess I had I watched the episode six you know the uh the sex scene right and where he immediately starts talking about chess again my wife thought that was funny and like the uh but anyway so yeah we already know where Benny's head is at you know Benny's head is in the chess and yeah. uh so but all right so where where are we at uh where are we at? so we're so she's she's kind of on her own she's you know we're, we're going through a ton of stuff. We're reliving the past, but this time in a healthy way, not just sort of like traumatic flashbacks, she's kind of confronting, you know, her, her loss, her pain, also the, the damage she's created in these relationships. And the one person who's really still there and kind of has her back is the OG, you
0: know, is yeah. um, Jolene. Yeah. Cause she Ms. can't Ms. get Jolene. She's not getting anything from the chess Federation. She's not getting anything from the state department and, yeah, Jolene steps up. They're playing squash. I think it's squash, it's little, right? Little squash.
1: Yeah, squash. The, I never uh, played
0: squash. Have you played squash?
1: I've never played squash. I don't
0: know. But it looks so, like fun. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it did look like fun. Um, I got to be honest. Um, I was like, I, so I played. I played te- tether. Wait, tetherball is not quite the same. Um, you can play tetherball outside. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of squash courts. You know what always scared me about squash is that they're hitting the ball so hard. And these guys are wearing goggles like for their eyes. Like you walk by the gym, I'm going to play basketball at the YMCA. Yeah. I see some dudes playing squash. And I'm like, that just looks like it would hurt if the ball hits you. Yeah. And you're putting yourself in a really dangerous enclosed cage. So so yeah, that's my that's I my agree. why I never played squash.
0: I agree. You know, I play golf because I hit the the golf ball very far away from everybody. Yeah. But like that that thing comes back at you. Right. It's it's like it's it's like worse than table tennis because table tennis so you can kind of see and prepare a little bit it's this little tiny little ball but i don't know what that squash ball is but it looks scary yeah not about we played
1: um we recently played the i forget the game you can kind of play on the beach where you have two rackets in a in a in a smash ball it's it's kind of and you like you just hit it up to each other back and forth you see how many you can get You you see people doing that it's like a wooden racket and like a little rubber ball and uh we did that recently back in september um but uh but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm I'm that's a that's a ball with. It's a ball with rackets that I have never partaken.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, when you have that racket, you're just like, <laughs> get out of here. Know.
1: Let's see how long we can talk about this without talking about anything real.
0: <laughs> well, let's end this game of all the shenanigans and let's get on a plane, Danny. We're on a plane again and we're heading to the Soviet union to Moscow Moscow and um you've been there it's a thing you've been there right it's beautiful, yeah Moscow is like. a
1: real place not a made-up place right for all you flat earthers out there it's a real thing um real place and uh yeah so she's so she's flying to Moscow, and she's and she's in a good place right she's mm-hmm. she's uh she's studying chess and and she's um serious you know she's serious she's ready to rock and here we go we're back in the motherland
0: like yeah like how the- you call it the State Department gives her a handler. I will say, yes. And I do love the exchange with this guy on, on what, the plane. Yeah, she, she has no idea like what department this guy is from at all. And, like mm-hmm. he's telling her that you know you might see you know you might you know Get first signals. he offers her signals from Borgov. I'm just like, well, what would that look like? It's like I don't know. And it's like you know you know why why and, you know uh-huh. is there, like Russian interference or something yeah. like this. Yeah. Like what what is Borgov going to do? Borgov has like never spoken to her really yeah. right and um nor does he really speak to her at all even in, in this one but yeah um
1: no it is a funny scene because it does represent some of the i think it was kind of silly like first he he gets the drink offers her a drink she says no and then like says no drinking and she's like well you just offered me a drink he's like that was a test yeah and then starts saying all the things that they might do but there's sort of like a level of paranoia where beth is like this is insane like i don't even know what to tell you and uh so I came and, for yeah. chess.
0: I came for chess. Yeah,
1: I came and for the chess. I
0: don't know if you know, we're all chess players and we're going to be playing chess. Yeah. And, um, but yes, yeah, yeah, we're there. It's we're in Moscow. It's lovely. Um, I, I never been, I've never been to Russia. I have a few friends, including you that have been to Russia. I, well, they show I, the
1: Kremlin, they show mm-hmm. the Spassky building, right? Which is just absolutely, the Kremlin is amazing as well as the Spassky building. It's, and there's something magical about the, I don't know. I mean, originally, I would think of like movies like Anastasia, like as a kid, like the Russian princess, you know, mm. and whatever. But like the the archi- uh the architecture and just it's a, it's you know that's kind of the symbol of hey we're we're in we're in Moscow, baby.
0: Yeah, um, gives so. me that Tet- Tetris vibe. Yeah, so. Tetris vibe, love it. The yep. brick. Yep, Alexey Pot- Pot- Nivov is the creator of of Tetris from Russia. Um, there's a whole backstory that I'll link to a very great video of the entire really? history of Tetris I, I don't, and how, okay,
1: I got to check this out.
0: Yeah. It's super good. It, it, you know how, how Alexi, who who actually worked at Microsoft for a little bit of time, um, maybe still does. Where does Alexi work? Maybe still works at Microsoft. Could be, maybe not, oh. but anyways, yeah, he worked in like this studio and he developed Tetris literally on, you know, the government, you know, R and D center, um, and that's where it was created. It's a whole it's a whole thing. He was working, working there. They basically try to take it from him. But like he was able to get I don't think he I don't think he got a lot of money from Tetris itself because of the time in the era. Like basically, you know, Russia kind of owned it. it. It's this whole backstory. I'll give a whole thing. It's great. Um, okay. Can't wait. It, it's good. His. It's a good like history lesson because it's of the era kind of in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. granted, that happened in kind of like the 80s or whatnot, but still, kind of similar ask you know not a lot of change between those two times anyways we're there and i love beth goes into her room i love that i love like the handler's like this room's a lot like so much nicer than mine yeah but she yeah. sits there and she's like yes yes this, it will, is. this will do nicely yeah this is um, this is a great
1: room and the handler is the, ha- the handler is such a funny scene right because yeah I'm,
0: he knows nothing about, about, about chess and he he's just you know
1: well like the Borgov thing earlier in the earlier episodes where he has his handlers from the KGB, mm-hmm. right? So it's just interesting. And the dynamic of of the uh the battle between like the West and the and the you know the Soviet Union was just so real. I mean that, that whole thing was that was a real deal, right? And I don't know a lot of stories of Bobby Fisher's handlers. I know that, that whole all that stuff kind of like existed, but I I don't know enough about it to 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 suggest that how similar that is but it was just i think it was just funny and like you know i love that he resents how much nicer her room is so
0: yeah and uh chess starts i love i wrote down this entire i wanted to ask you about this quote from thomas huxley which is the chessboard is the world the pieces are the phenomena of the universe Mm -hmm. the roles of the game are what we call the laws of nature and the player on the other side is hidden from us
1: so I don't know what to say about that quote besides sounds great right sounds. like it it sounds great like I I uh I think it's uh I think chess as a as like what we'll call it like like the 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 lore of chess or like the the symbol of like strategic thinking that the game is like outside of there's like the professional world of chess players where a lot of them just think like Beth, like to remind us in episode six, where they ask her if she does puzzles and she's like, I always considered them a waste of time. They would never happen in a real game, right? She's she's what I would classify as a gamer. Like for whatever reason, she figured out she had talent for something and it was like, it was because she was good that she got even better. She wants to win. She wants to crush for whatever sense of self-fulfillment she gets by destroying another man's ego, right? That's who she is. And then there are people that are like, kind of like the scientists who are, I would say, more like the technical Borgovs who appreciate, like, the mathematical simplicity of, like, just, like, how technical the game can be and that it's a game of, like, black and white, complete information. And then I would say there's, like, the artist of chess. And that's kind of, like, quotes like that remind me of, like, people who just love, like, the the beauty of the game. They look at it like it's art, right? And I've never been uh, in that, like, third class because, like, I... I look at art and I think it's either really bright and pretty or that, that I'm not a big guy who just like looks at like, you know, an artist and a painting and like dives in for hours on like the symbolism of how the colors interact and how that's the representation of like universal stuff. And as someone who's quite the existentialist, right, and contemplates the meaning of life and his his purpose on a regular basis, like, I don't know why I'm here. I mean, I I am that person, but when it comes to chess and like the art part of it, like I just never have been that person, right? I look at it the same way I look at art, like that's a pretty picture or it's not. I'm not into it. Let's move on. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm so I'm just being this yes. is just me right I'm just not the artist chess player and that sort of quote is like the the beauty and the symbolism of the game and you know, I had a friend when we were younger who literally talked about chess like as like a representation of like the balance of the universe, like Taoism. Like it was like everything about chess is the yin and the yang and the balance, and like you can sacrifice pieces for the initiative, and there's always a perfect balance of struggle for power between black and white on the board. And the, and all and I literally blacked out like ten minutes into you know ten minutes ago. Right? I'm uh, like, yeah. I, I get it. I don't know what to say. I'm like playing to win the game. I get you. So I'm, I'm a little more like on the Beth circle, like that line of thinking, as far as like why I got good at chess more than I am on, I just appreciated the beauty of the game kind of thing.
0: Yeah, And I couldn't even really find why this, because if, if I looked up Thomas Huxley, he was like an English biologist, and there's really nothing in his Wikipedia page about chess at all, or it wasn't like right. a chess player. Anyway, it, was, it was very odd, but... It was a be- It's a beautiful quote. I agree. It's a beautiful quote. I don't know anything, why, what rationale behind it, but it's definitely there. What I wanted to ask you, though, is they opened <laughs> this up. It's definitely there. It's definitely there. It's definitely a thing. And I was going to ask you, this is unlike any other chess setup that we've ever seen. It's almost like a runway in the middle. And you have been to Moscow. You have played chess in Russia. And... I Not in it's... tournaments like that. I can tell you that. That it was, it was it's a beautiful setup for sure. Is, is it realistic? Is this like, uh... I mean,
1: it is, it is. Um, I would say again, and I think I said this in earlier episodes, one of the, one of the only things I found unrealistic about some of these elite events they created for the show was how close the fans are. Mm. Right. Like sitting right up on top of them, you know, in some ways. Um, but as far as like, the stage, right? And like kind of the dark, the dark, um like the dark lighting for where people sit, right? And then like sort of the overexposed lighting over where the chess players are playing, right? You're with me on that, right? How they how they outline that. That's 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 kind of realistic. I mean we're about to see Tata Steel kick off here um actually tomorrow um, on, on chess.com, which is, you know, like I always say, it's kind of like the the Wimbledon of chess been around forever a super tournament. They are playing it in person. I'm going to be very interested to see what the restrictions are for COVID and how this all goes. But, um, but, but that's like, that's like a very well-lit room in like more of like a, it feels like a, just a wooden floor ballroom. That's a very common setting. And, but that setting is also, you know, very realistic. The, the dark, the dark lit sort of amphitheater and then, the people on stage, the chess players were kind of putting on a show, like they're almost like a Broadway play kind of feel. Right. So that, that is like a setting that you've seen a lot of world championship matches on. And, you know, everything else in the room is dark besides the light over the chessboard of these elites. So that would be realistic other than the fact that like the people watching are like, like right on top of them. Right. Like they're like arms length away. Other than that, I mean, that's, you know, it's an epic setting, not, not a super common setting, but it is a realistic one. It is something that, you know, you've seen for sure.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. It was, they had all the boards like in a row. It's it's, it's kind of the first time we've seen this sort of setup here and they're calling out, this is a big match. This is, can you talk maybe about the significance of this match? Because we've seen a lot of matches and sort of how they've increased, but this is sort of the coup d'etat, like this is the, the big one,
1: right? Well, again, they've been setting this up like from the beginning as far as like going to Moscow. If you win this, you go to Moscow kind of thing, right? Like the U.S. championship. And Mm -hmm. they've been setting this up as like, so the like the climax of all of her chess experiences, right? This is this is the big one, like you said. What what word did you just use? It was a fancier word than I know. The
0: coup, coup d'état. I think that's a real word. I think it's a real thing. Coup d'état. That's a no? that, that's a fancy word. Kind of nice. like Jolene
1: says she used a lot of fancy words. That's <laughs> true. Um, when she had her interview at the law firm, um, uh, that was a fancy word. Anyway, so yeah, so it's the coup d'état, um, and um, the, the uh, her magnum opus. Can I say that?
0: Yeah, I think that's that, I I think a, that's a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. Ooh, sounding smart. Um, no, so it's, but I would say that's just all been part of like the the fictional storyline of the Queen's Gambit. There had to be a journey and sort of a, you know, a way that she was going to ultimately either like make it as a person and a chess player or not. And I think that, again, Moscow is like a chess capital of the world. Um, it's, it's a city that has, you know, held like many world championship matches. It's, you know, a city that has held historically one of the strongest. um open and regular tournaments. Um, It's an open semi kind of club, the Aeroflot Open, um, which existed before that, before it was named after the Russian airline, I forget. But like, and that's actually usually held in, God, what's the hotel? The hotel that's actually very close to the Kremlin in this basket building. Um, So like all that stuff like plays well with chess and chess lovers, chess historians, chess players, because there's no way you would question that an epic finale, a coup d'etat would take place in Moscow with Beth being the American there to fight against the Soviet Union and this rival Borgov, right? But if I'm so kind of the question you were asking is whether whether that's like a you're asking whether that's like a realistic thing for this to be like the big event or
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: okay, yeah, so so it is, right? But again, there's no like what I said in, in the beginning when like when there was the qualification that happened for Moscow, there was no like there's no Grand Prix that ties a U.S. championship to like events in Moscow and Paris right? Okay. Like that's never existed. So I was clarifying that that's that part of it, but there are, there are similar things to that, right? There have been, you know, events that if you're the top American, you, you would maybe get to play in the candidates and, and represent America there. And so all of that stuff is loosely accurate enough that it, that it, you know, it makes sense.
0: Got it. Yeah. And I, the opening here is pretty dramatic as I call in everybody and her first match against uh, Lav and, and uh, this one's fascinating because as he sits down, they actually start to they blend in some of the real world here as they make a mention to Nona Gaprindashvili.
1: Uh, Thank you. Um, and so she actually was, you know, she's one of the greatest women chess players of all time. Yep. And um, so go ahead, I'll let you say, yeah. So that was a good reference. And it, like we said, they've done such a good job of like mixing in fact and fiction, which blurs the lines between wait, was that, was that real or not? Right. And that's what a lot of people have asked about the show in a good way. And the chess players have super appreciated, like, Hey, this is like, they're doing such a good job of making us feel like, yeah, they did their homework. They know. And, and Nona Gaprindashvili is a legend in the, in the chess world.
0: Yeah. She's the first woman to be awarded the FIDE uh, title grandmaster, which we've talked about before. Um, she was the women's world uh, champion from 62 to 78. Uh, she played in the Olympics, the Women's Olympiads uh, in the 1980s, um, and in Dubai in '86. She won all the games. You got her. Played. Wiki, you got her wiki up right now. I do. I she, she's that, five is... five time winner of the Women's Soviet Championship in '64, '73, '81, '83, '85. She continues to dominate to this day. I would say, and you know, it was fascinating because I think that when I look at it, um, it's a very small, it's a very small segment where they they pan the camera to her if you're not a chess person or didn't, you know, pause to write down the name and Google it, you would have no idea. Yep. Yep. But nailed it.
1: Yep. Nope. Nailed it. Like, like you said, hashtag nailed it. And, uh, it's an appropriate way to move toward our, sorry,
0: I did it again. It's not my job. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, Beth here, (laughs) let's just get to the first game because the the games go quick. Uh, the first one here versus Lav is 27 move victory. That's fast game, Danny. It's super fast.
1: Yeah. No. And that's 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 what Beth's known for, right? Is uh when she's successful, she's historically anyway crushing people. And uh and yeah, it sets the tone that she's found herself again, right? We already we've seen this dog and pony dance before. We've seen her show up and be a baller and then at some point in the event get pulled back into her, you know, her demons went out, right? So but yeah, this is definitely a sign that like, okay, Beth is back, she crushes this guy and we love it.
0: Yeah. And then we get our first uh, this is the most realistic favorite scene in the entire movie, which is the chess player dinner. Daniel, I want to ask you about this, because in the um, I used to back in my glory day when I used to go and and speak to people about development and stuff, there would be back when people traveled back when people traveled, there would be like speaker dinners and you get you get invited to a conference, kind of like playing chess. You invite to a conference, you give a, a session. I'm like, Hey, you know, we're going to get all the speakers together and have a speaker dinner. And I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a fan. You would think that like, Oh, I love to speak to people. I love speaker dinners. Like I am not a speaker dinner person. I'm basically Beth Harmon in this because I feel awkward. I'm like around people that I don't know very, very well. Sometimes there's a coworker or two there, but like, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go to like in and out or like to whole foods and get a, a salad, right? Like, that's what I'm going I'm to sit by myself over here. Like, that's kind of what I want to do. It's like, you know, it's almost too fancy for me. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not, you know, not that I'm like, I don't want to be rude, but it's just not my shtick. You know, I'm, I don't enjoy doing that. And that's sort of what we see here where Beth surrounded by all these players chit chatting, you know, and she's kind of just, she can sit there by herself. And, like, and it makes doing you here? feel
1: more alone than you would if you were just actually alone in your hotel room eating your own dinner, right? Because it yeah. like highlights the social anxiety and stuff. Dude, I'm a hundred percent with you again, as someone who people would think like, you know, I literally, you know, talk for a living and, and am on camera a lot and all that stuff. I'll say, um, it's so funny this is coming up because two, uh, two things to say. One, I want to say these dinners, like that's a very common thing. In fact, one of my first fancy schmancy speaker dinners where I was, you know, one of the players invited, you know, to an event like this was actually in Russia um, when I was 15 playing in this event where I got my first international master norm. And it was actually the first time I had alcohol, fun fact. Mm. And it was because glasses were filled in front of me of like wine or vodka. I didn't even ask. Just everyone had it. Like you sat down and I, I you know, it tastes a little bit of wine. I'm not going to lie. I did. Okay. There you go. No I was judgment. 15. There you go. No judgments. Right. And, um, and it was a it was a cool experience. Um, the, the talks that were given were in Russian. So I, at the time, I was learning Russian and do, doing a pretty good job, but I didn't you know, necessarily pick up everything. Um, the guy that was with me, my my handler, so to speak, if Beth had a handler, I had a handler too, <laughs> Alan. Shout out to you, Big Al. Um, won't say his last name, but Alan um, was the guy who, when I traveled, was with me who was fluent in Russian and actually worked worked in the CIA, fun fact, before the wall fell. So he's got stories, man. He's got real KGB story. It was a lot of fun to be with him. And, and he came with me to Russia. What he got was if he paid his own way, he would get to sit in with me on all my lessons with Divoretsky and Dolmatov and Zaitsev and these guys. So that's what Alan got out of it. And what I got was my parents felt better because I was with a guy in his mid thirties who was fluent in Russian while I was 15. Yeah. Right. So anyway, long story short, um, those dinners really do exist. Fun fact. That was when Danny had his first sip of, of, uh, alcohol. Um, and, uh, and then, then to the you know the social anxiety part, dude, I totally relate to that. In fact, I was interviewing a guy yesterday for a job, um, who, who we may hire as um, uh, someone to be kind of kind of work in our community management uh, stuff, and. And he said he met me in Norway, which was the last time I was at maybe one of these dinners, which was in, in 2019. We were in Oslo for the Fisher Random World Chess Championship. And Magnus was there and Hikar was there. And little, little did I know that would be like the last event I was traveling to, right? Because we came home, had the holidays in 2019, and then COVID hit, right? Yep. Um, and he said he met me and I, and I felt bad. But I told him, I said, you know, one thing that I really struggle with is being in a room where I know people know me and I don't know them. Like it literally makes my skin crawl. And it's a weird thing. And that's not like an ego thing. Cause I'm like, obviously in the chess world, it's like, uh, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, major celebrities or anything, but when you're in a chess setting, right. And clearly people recognize you because you're on freaking camera all the time in a talking head. Right. It literally gives me social anxiety and I don't share that often and like very, but it's really a thing that I have. And, sometimes it makes me seem a little more awkward or I go out of my way to like call my wife so I can be on the phone in a corner because it really bothers me if I feel like I'm standing in a room and someone's looking at me and I know they're about to introduce themselves. It like, it it makes me nervous. It's mm. a weird thing. I get social anxiety.
0: Yeah, yeah it's the same. I've, I've gone to some user groups back in the day and, you know, ones that I host where I'm the host and I'm doing things It's very different. And then I would you know, get in into this room. And I'm like, I don't feel comfortable here. And, right. and for no reason, I just, I don't know, something takes it takes over me. But uh, yeah. we see that in yeah. Beth a little bit. So we, too. we,
1: we so. both we both connected with Beth there.
0: We did. It was uh, it was a great moment. Um, I mean, when you can be like, wow, I have like I'll just this one thing in common with one of the greatest chess players of all time. <laughs> then uh, then boom. Uh, So she continues to crush over here. My favorite was the end of the third game. Um, which I don't actually know who she played. I think we saw the the scene for a little bit, but this is the first time that Borgov gets up and looks at her endgame. She yep. he studies her board, big move, and she turns around. She's walking away because they leave the the chess area at the end of each if, after they win or lose, uh, gracefully or not, as we will see. And Borgov gets up because he's like, I can't. You know, I don't know if it was a quick game or what it was, but um, this is this is kind of very uh, not typical of him
1: well and it also is a sign that 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 he kind of is paying attention i guess and we already knew he's been paying attention but this is like the fact that they go out of their way to have the scene of like beth noticing that he's noticing right yeah. mm-hmm. and it kind of creates that we already know where we're headed here we're headed for the epic borgov beth showdown right harman versus borgov and it'll be again we've had in mexico city we've had paris right and this is going to be the third the third rematch um but I think that's kind of what they're just setting the tone. And also, you know, I, I'm kind of saving my point about the Borgoff Beth relationship. And I read what some people thought the interpretation was on the internet even after watching it again last night. And I think I think there's more to that, and maybe more potentially for a sequel than just like him acknowledging a rival as far as like how she's kind of won him over a little bit, you know. And I think um and I think this is just another scene that's interesting and it's just building up toward the uh toward our showdown,
0: you know. Yep. And every time that Beth leaves the building, the crowds continue to grow and swarm her started with just a few people. She kind of is becoming this, this idol in, in Russia, which is cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So cool. It just kind of completely swamps her and she's like, you know, taken, taken by it. Uh, And it's really cool. And we, we kind of see that trend continue to go. We see a few more matches really quick. Hellstrom who marches off and just gets super pissed off. And then we see. Shapkin, who is a graceful exit, you know, out. You you see this difference in players as they get beat by by Beth um, back and forth. And we land on this beautiful scene right before my favorite match. Match number six is my favorite. But we see this beautiful breakfast scene in Russia, which I'm assuming is reminiscent to all of your breakfasts in Russia, where an 11 year 11 year old asks you if you would like a big, beautiful glass of vodka in the morning.
1: (laughs) hundred percent. Um, yeah, no, it is, uh, that, yeah, that doesn't actually happen, but yes. Um, anyway, so it's, uh, it's, what, what is it about it? I feel like there's something, and even as you're describing it, and I'm remembering watching it last night, like the, it's kind of a celebration of where Beth has been. And I think that the, you know, she's in a place where chess players are appreciated. Mm -hmm. right and that's one of the things that we know like there's the scene in the u.s championship where benny is like literally resentful over the fact that they're superstars and they're you know and like that whole scene where he just like tears down the room right yeah uh where they're playing the u.s championship in ohio and and um and that part of it is real And whether you know the breakfasts were that you know extravagant and whether you know people were waiting paparazzi to, to cheer and take pictures like I'm I'm going to guess that's a little overdone. You know, I wasn't there in the 60s and 70s, you know, but I will say that the the general, you know, story is like again because chess was a soviet sponsored, a soviet uh supported state state sponsored sport, you know, and and you know the things we've talked about many times in the series like chess players were deeply appreciated throughout eastern Europe um and and Russia and um and so I think that's kind of like that's kind of the the way she feels about that, right? And we already know in episode six where she kind of told uh, Cleo like she could live anywhere, right? And and could do anything. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a part of Beth, and I, without spoiling the total ending yet, we're gonna get to, where like she likes she likes where she's at. She likes Russia. She likes being appreciated. And they definitely set the tone of how she's you know she's appreciated there for who she is.
0: That's true. It's a good way of looking at it. Where we I think we take a lot of sports ball for a granite. Where a lot of you know sports players or celebrities and in the chess world it hasn't wasn't that way or yeah you're right in russia it, it is and these these people are a big deal and and anyone that's even there is a big deal and um we we sort of see that in the celebrity status of some of these other players as they were introduced in the very beginning the round of applause just like the amount of people that are there the amount of people that are gathering especially for the end end uh, match there but uh, before we get to the borgov match we get a Lechenko match and i love Lechenko what great hair Great yeah, swag, just everything about him. And there's all these well, flashbacks where he's like, he's like sleeping while they're all watching a movie or whatever. You know, um, yeah. Just this guy, I love everything about him. I just love him.
1: Well, and remember, isn't it the same actor that that plays Mr. Scheibel? Or am no, I no? Mister, remembering that. No, Hold that's on, not
0: correct. That's not correct.
1: That An can't episode, be correct. I'm trying to remember the name. No, but she, the person she plays with the big hair and um is 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 supposed to represent one i think the person is supposed to represent like um someone who she's like modeled herself after from a chess player style but i'm pretty sure it's the same actor
0: really so imdb yeah. queen's gambit here we go we're doing real time thing but yeah he is while danny's looking this up he is the oldest player there so he is the most you know seasoned player there he's a world champion um There and yeah, we're gonna look up the IMDb just so we can be really one hundred percent sure. I can't be right. I don't believe you, Mr. Scheibel. Mister. Mister. No, Bill. No, it's just Mr. Scheibel. Luchenko. Luchenko is Marcus Lodges, who plays Luchenko, and Mr. Scheibel is Bill Camp. So you're wrong, sir. You are wrong. I'm.
1: I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I. I got that information from someone
0: maybe and there's that some
1: person will get yelled at no, Yeah, there. You go. Um, I, I, some, I don't know why I thought that I, I thought that Luchenko was um, it, it is a great scene right and it's like he you know she kind of says like hey I followed all your games right mm-hmm. and and he's like and he acknowledges that he has you know has seen her games right so I feel like someone told me that that was supposed to be like a doctor like a Mr. Scheibel thing and that that person was wrong <laughs>
0: Well, I will say that they—that person, Marcus Hodges—also was a producer on all of all seven episodes. So there's that.
1: Ah, okay. Uh, so maybe that was uh, a cool thing too. That he, uh, yeah, you're right. That was wrong, and you know, another wrong piece of information by Dan. Hold on. She also mentioned Luchenko's game since she was young. Maybe with you know, Mr. Scheibel.
0: Maybe Mr. Scheibel taught her about her. It's hard to say. Okay,
1: well, there you go. Anyway, so yeah, Luchenko, it, obviously the guy is someone who she says she studies at games, and so to to beat him is like a huge coming-of-age kind of thing.
0: Right? Yeah, and they really— Regardless of
1: my my theory, I told myself in my head that it was supposed to be also a shout-out to Mr. Scheibel. I was wrong, and we move on.
0: <laughs> yeah, and because they really talk him up right now. Now he's a world champion, but he de- de- defeated um, Al-Kine, Al-K- Al-K- alkine— Alkine.
1: Alkine. alkine al
0: yeah, yeah, thank you, Alekhine. When he was a boy, there was a, he had a draw with a, man. I'm going to butcher all these names. Bot botvinnik Botvinik, Botvinik, and then crushed Bronstein. Bronstein, yeah, Bronstein David Bronstein, one of the best Havana. chess
1: authors ever. So Bronstein and Botvinik were rivals of their era. Botvinik was the the Soviet king, and ultimately the father of the Soviet chess school. Uh, literally, I mean, like people like Kasparov was trained in the Botvinik school of chess. So um, it was named after him. So he's often referred to as kind of the father of the Soviet chess uh, regime dominance, right? He was also just, fun fact, he was also like very outspoken politically and a communist. And so he was literally the perfect figurehead for what the Soviet Union needed. He was a a full-blown Marxist, like huge Stalin, Lenin, Trotsky, like the whole, he was a huge supporter of the communist movement and the Soviet regime. And so for him to also be world champion was... Like like literally he's considered the father of Soviet chess. Um, and the reason the schools were named after him, and um and you know, he's the he was the kind of guy they wanted Fisher to be for the West, right? They wanted Fisher to win in the West and then be this representative of, you know, the Western Judeo Christian like dominance, capitalism for the win, right? And Fisher refused to do it. It's funny, as I'm going down these search these search holes, that was a weird thing to say, the the search holes on Google. Um You see theories like that, like was Beth Harmon a Russian spy? Like, what? Like, which is the kind of theories people had about Fisher, uh, that he was a communist. Um, Not that it matters, right? But anyway, that's just—it's all just super interesting. And the way we know this this series ends, you know, um, that we'll get into. is is really interesting how at home Beth feels her her final like fancy outfit that she has in the in the final moments being in the Russian park with the babushka you know the uh, the the it's all it's all so good I love it I really hope there's a sequel
0: yeah there's a this 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 entire episode is super fun because you know you get this great Lechenko match they go to adjournment which is the first of two adjournments that we have Um, there's a fascinating part where we get a callback kind of to the camaraderie and the team uh, teammates for all intents and purposes that the soviets have because she sees all of them collaborating in a room together now why they had the doors open is beyond me Um, right that's definitely i mean you know oh we're all gonna be we're all gonna be studying this chessboard and of course best rooms right down the the aisle right saying kind of weird but and
1: and she and she's you know sees them all working together right a little not en- envious at the time, but at least she sees what Benny was saying is to be true, right? They're
0: better because they work as a team. They work as a team. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could do anything during your adjournment. Like you, I guess like it doesn't, I mean, that's, what's kind of weird. We talked about adjournments that kind of happen a, lot, a little bit less now, but like, it's so weird to me that all of a sudden, Oh, we got this adjournment. Now we're literally going to the, the end game that you would get to. If there wasn't an adjournment is probably dramatically different than if they're, was no adjournment.
1: Well, one hundred percent, and we're going to get into that when we talk about the the Ivanchuk uh, short game, right? um Which was the final game versus Borgov. But do we, we want to talk about the Luchenko game now? Or, or, or I mean, I, I'll say this: Yes, one hundred percent. And in general, chess has changed a lot since the, in the modern era without adjournments. In the since the introduction of sudden death, mm. right now, I would you know. As, as someone who's actually been called an evil chess popularist, that's something I almost replaced my Twitter info with, by the way, just that that's going to be my info. Like, who is Daniel wrench He's an evil chess popularist. <laughs> um, and because because chess.com obviously has been, you know, sort of the industry leader, I mean, I'll just say it since, you know, a lot of the things we've pushed to the forefront from, you know, with streaming and and commentary over faster time controls, historically, you know, to do commentary on blitz is insane, right? Just ask, ask Nedjman Like, you can't do commentary over blitz, right? That's, that's what a fool, a fool's errand. But, you know, chess has evolved a ton. Faster time controls are entertaining, and they're also more fulfilling, frankly, for observer and player, because, like, you can tune into the speeches championship and see a lot of start and finishes, right and and then you get to see some checkmates and some fun stuff, even if you can't watch the full three four hour show, right? Mm-hmm. rather than watching one game for six hours and and how difficult that can be to the more casually interested chess enthusiasts, right yep. so so yes, we have pushed faster time controls and the entertaining educational aspects of of kind of the you know the patterns and the way that people can relate to chess rather than just like you know, some some deep variations where I'm calculating 30 moves, even if I can do it, but the fans, there's only so much people can just appreciate that someone is an intellectual giant before they just sort of zone out, right? And, and I think that that's not really what people want to see. Okay, so without digressing into all that, I'm coming back to say, like, all that said, and all of my defense of myself of being an evil chess populist to help the game grow, the truth is longer time controls and adjournments were higher quality chess in some ways, right? Because you had more time, frankly, you had unlimited time in some ways. And, um, there's no reason, there's no debate that the reason the last world championship match in 2018 was all 12 draws in the classical portion, despite a few opportunities that both Carwan and Carlson had. The reason it was all 12 draws is because with really long time controls, chess players don't make many mistakes, man. Mm -hmm. Right. And people, people kind of like seeing drama and mistakes, but, but if you're talking like the pure chess, like like chess purists, right? If you want like the quality of it, it, it's twofold. Chess has gotten better and more accurate since the introduction of computers because we now can prepare more deeply and understand, um, you know, chess at a higher level. Frankly, due to like the just the ruthlessness of how chess computers can expose a bad move, but also just from a human perspective, without long time controls and adjournments, there's no way that chess humans aren't making more mistakes right yeah. and so you do play a higher quality chess with a german and time to analyze it especially if you have a team of seconds behind you so so that's my quick rant on that like 100 percent, you're right that you make different decisions if you have you know a whole night and hours and a team to think about a position than you do if you're under the clock and you've only got 20 minutes right 100 mm-hmm. percent.
0: yeah it makes sense to me it's uh it's uh the 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 game has changed if you will over the, time the so.
1: game has changed we're in the yeah. end
0: game now. We are. Well, hopefully 20. not the end, not the end game of chess. So come on, Danny, get yourself together. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Um, anyways, we are in the end game of Lachenko. And do you want to break down this game at all? Because it was a, you know, a recovery from Beth here. And he even says at the end, it's a brilliant recovery. Well, we've got the position where
1: Black plays Rook D4 on the board, right? hmm Right. So she plays Rook to D4. Um. Are we, are we following together?
0: We're following together. I'm here. I'm here with you.
1: And so already at this point, like black, black is winning. And and the reason is that after rook to D4 attacking the queen, the reason that uh, Luchenko has to play queen E3 is because if the queen moves to any other square, let's say to guard D1, knowing that black's next move is rook D1. Let's say she goes to queen C2. Go ahead and play that. Like queen C2, guard D1. Mm -hmm. Then the F3 pawn hangs with queen takes Uh. F3. So the queen is overworked. That's actually a tactic we have in chess where a piece is overloaded. Here the queen is having to guard both F3 and the D1 square after the move Rook D4. And at a high-level like chess game, like white could resign right now after Rook D4. Because, mm. um, again, the queen is being skewered to the D1 square, but if she chooses to guard D1, then queen takes F3. So in the game, um, the, uh, the move Queen E3 is played. Rook to D1 check comes. Um, the only move is Rook to E1 to block the check. Are yep. we Are we following? I'm following. I'm here right.
0: with you, buddy. I'm here.
1: Right. And and if it, the reasons for that is King to G2 allows Rook H2 checkmate. The Bishop on E5 guards H2. Mm. And if King F2, we have the move Bishop to D4. Um. Well, actually, there's a million wins here. Rook, rook H2 is also winning. Um. Bishop D4 is just a pin of the queen to yep. the king, so that would win a massive amount of material. So in the game, Rook to E1 is played. um, And after the move, Rook to E1 is played. Bishop D4 comes in. And now um, Luchenko, I keep wanting to call him fake Mr. Scheibel. God, I've really screwed myself up by convincing myself it was Mr. Scheibel. Um, Anyway, he resigns because the queen is skewered to the Rook on G1. Um, If you move the queen, I can even take E1 and then take G1, right? Um, So... Black is just winning a massive amount of material, and um, and the game is over.
0: Boom. And he says, he says, he rely, resigns with relief, and it, and then Beth is one of the best chess players that he's ever played in his life.
1: I just like, love it. <laughs> yeah, love I love, I love,
0: I love that dude. I just want more of that dude. Like, can I get a <sighs> Luchenko Luchenko, Luchenko spinoff? Can so we have, good. can
1: we get a Luchenko spinoff?
0: That'd be great. I love his. What hair. has he been so through? <sighs> God knows. Man. If that um, hair could talk, right? <laughs> That's a great name for a podcast. That's a very good talk. <laughs> that um, yeah, it, it's crazy. That, that is
1: a great, it would be great if it was an impromptu podcast where you and I are not allowed to see the hairdo before it's presented to us. We get a third party and the hair shows up like it's a mullet and you and I have to tell a story. If that hair could talk like what he's been through, what she's been through. That'd be <laughs> that amazing. I'm That's a great podcast. All right, good.
0: It's coming soon to a podcast player near you. Um, yeah, we 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 see the end of that game. We see uh a, another match actually versus Flento, which is a four hour match. So this is sort of the night before um night before Borgov. Before Borgov and all through the house. Pills Not are out. being flushed. And yeah. something, something, something. And then we're something, at Borgov v.
1: Harmon. And this is it. This is the big one, the big daddy.
0: Why is why is Beth White starting this off? Because she'd kind of been black the entire time. But now in this instance, she's white starting off. Well, the
1: it's, it, and it's funny because uh, they don't.
0: They don't really say. I mean, I would assume then that Borgov had a draw. But wasn't wasn't Beth White against him in
1: episodes? She was white in Paris as well. Remember, she was black yes. in Mexico City. Yeah. Then she loses with white in that Sicilian in, in, in Paris and then she gets white again so i i don't know i I mean i think it makes sense that she would have white obviously the colors kind of rotate in a tournament right so i didn't you asked the question i realized i wasn't prepared to answer i i I didn't put a lot of credence into that i think it's totally normal that she would get white um Mm -hmm. just i guess just the way they did it especially especially given that literally like previous games like she was black against luchenko but was she white against maybe that's interesting. Maybe you're right. Maybe it should have Either way, I'll also say this, in closed tournaments, it's not exactly the same as like color rotation because the pairings are kind of all set in advance. Like you already kind of know, like you know your pairings 1 through 1 through 9 or 1 through 6, right? You know what color you're going to get and whatever. So, it is normal sometimes that you could get two blacks and then two whites in a row or vi- or vice versa. Gotcha. Know? Gotcha. So, so this is the big one because really we should just we should just start with the adjourn position, right?
0: Well, I kind of want to talk about the call for adjournment, right? Which is the start of that adjournment, which is the entire audience gasps back in, uh, in shock, to be honest with you, that Borgov calls for adjournment. Right. Which is, again, so there's,
1: there's a lot, there's a lot to this, right? There's usually a, the person who calls for adjournment, like he either believes it's a critical moment for sure, but also potentially believes that they're worse, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the reason the crowd gasps is because it's sort of an admission by Borgoff that he needs to look at this beast, right? He wants help from his team. So the reason, I think they overdo that drama a little bit, Um, but the reason why it was played out the way it was is because typically the person who asked for adjournment kind of is like, I need to go look at this with my team. I'm nervous that I'm about to make a big blunder. I'm nervous that I'm on the edge of my seat, and I need to double check things, kind of thing. So that's an admission by itself by Borgoff that that oh oh, believe the game has changed here with Beth Harmon, right? Kind of thing. Got it. So does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but also like it's interesting because this game, as you pointed out again, the chess expert on the show, is Vasily Ivanchuk versus Patrick Wolf from the Biel Interzonal nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that game, that, that event did not have a German. Mm. And, and so this is just a massive shout out to whoever, whoever consulted on this chess. I mean, I know Gary Kasparov was there. Bruce. I mean, not that he needs a shout out, but this is like what, what we're about to break down here with the chess. Everybody is just awesome in regards to why the Queens gambit again, just like shook the chess world and is by far the gold standard going forward. Because, the position that they adjourn with, Motsi, is is from Ivanchuk, Wolf. But in that game, as you pointed out, on move 36, Ivanchuk played the move G4, mm-hmm. which yep. which is a mistake. And it was a bad move by Ivanchuk, and the game is eventually drawn because of it. Like, basically, White blows the advantage with this move. Um, and... And didn't have the luxury of adjournment, but it's still super critical. Not just that the G4 was played, but this is one of the first times, I think, in the show where they don't just pay homage to a famous game. They actually improve upon the over-the-board chess that was played, right? Yeah. And so the move that Beth plays after, and I want you to break down the whole, like, all the scenes of, like, you know, the team of seconds being behind her. But the move that Beth plays is an improvement over Yvonne G4 and the computer, I've been letting the engine run the whole time just to prove that that's how well they did the chess. That it's it's not just an improvement like subjectively, and then they they make up dramatic moves in the show, right? The move that she plays thirty seven ninety six, and the line that follows is super forcing. And if Ivanchuk had played that against Wolf, he probably would have won the game. The yeah. move, the game that he that she goes on to beat Borgoff here. Yeah, so it go is, ahead. I, it's just epic.
0: It, it is. It's it's super nutty and it's super fascinating because this is German gets called. And then we, we do kind of see that exact opposite play. Um, because fortunately our good friend towns is back. Towns is back and the lives Danny, um, funny. Townsy, Townsy, I, the I creeper. love Do you
1: like him? Do you hate him? You don't know. You but don't know. He's here.
0: he's here. Um, randomly from a Kentucky, like a Lexington, the Lexington post or whatever he's in Russia. But you know, this is a, a fun scene because She gives this big nod to Mr. Scheibel. She's being interviewed by, you know, question here and there. She's asked about, you know, how she learned chess, all this stuff. Gives a real good shout out to Mr. Scheibel. And then as she's walking her way, you know, Towns makes a call out. Um, He's here and they're back in the room. You know, this is this is a time where Beth needs to be studying. needs to be doing stuff. And of course, Towns is distracting her. But don't worry, because her good friend Benny is back in our lives. He's not that pissed off just a little bit, but he's going to spend the rest of his money On this, what must be the most expensive international call in the 60s ever (laughs) (laughs) to Russia, which I'm assuming they allowed um, somehow, but he's there with the crew. The whole crew is there, Danny. The whole crew is
1: there. And not only that, like she she's they've got her back. Right. (laughs) And they're going to work on this position and give her the best line to play. Right. You've got who is there in the background. You've got Beltic. You've got Benny. Help me out here. we everybody, right? Boys. Which, by the way, is the boys, right? Matt and Mike, Matt and Mike, right? The boys, like the boys. It's it's I. It's a little. It's a little odd. It's not totally unrealistic, right? But it's a little odd that they're all suddenly in the same place. Yeah, right?
0: that's true. They're all randomly in New York, like in Benny's yeah. basement or whatever.
1: Right. They. Uh, that's a little bit just kind of funny right i will say this it doesn't really matter there would certainly have been enough strong players to help a guy like fisher you know you had his team of people that were helping him prep and do stuff you know um but um but the fact that it's like beltic from lexington matt and mike who where the bleep are they from, by the way? Who knows, Matt? And, are they even real? Right, Matt and Mike. Like, a, like if we watch the whole show, have they ever had a conversation with someone who wasn't Beth? Like, can we confirm that? I, I <laughs> anyway,
0: don't. I, I don't. I don't think so. I think just right. Mrs. Wheelie, and that's it. So. Right, it's
1: funny, anyway. So, like, you've got Benny. Anyway, it's just a little bit funny and odd, but either way, the point is the team is there, and it is a cool sort of inspirationally triumphant scene. You know that they're all going to work together and help Beth get the job done. Finally,
0: got it. I will say I've been trying to figure out who else are other chess consultants. Uh, John Paul Atkinson and Ipep Rabinga were both chess consultants on this episode specifically. I look okay. on IMDb. I don't know. I don't know those people, but um, I'm sure there's others. They're just not in the IMDb, well, which is fascinating. Was
1: Kasparov listed?
0: Uh, Kasparov is not listed. Interesting. Okay. Oh, no, he's there. Special consultant, Gary Kasparov. There you okay. go. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, I just yeah. I feel like he had... He, I mean, because this is like... Such a high level chess like improvement and interesting way to like present the power of adjournment, the fact that they improve on a famous game between Avanchuk and Patrick. Well, I mean, it's just, I just don't know. I, I just, I would have a super hard time believing that didn't have the direct influence of the hand of the king. Let's you know, see, Mr. Uh, Gary Kasparov himself. Uh,
0: other special consultants: Bruce Pandolfini, yep, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Pandolfini. Um, uh, he
1: was in episode six. I told you that, right? Mm-hmm. He's the. He's the local tournament director who comes out and gets her some Advil or whatever the the, the stuff there and tells her she can't smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my boy, Bruce, who I've been chatting with recently because, fun fact, we're bringing a Bruce bot to chess.com. We, oh. Everyone loves the bots right now, the Beth Harmon bots. You can play against personalities that are kind of shaped around the chess level and the chess style of someone. And we've been working with Bruce shout out to bruce by the way 2021 is his 50th anniversary of when he became a professional chess coach he told me this year this oh, is wow. his 50th year and he's still coaching and so we're going to release a bruce Pandolfini bot soon and kind of have him on a show and i've known bruce for a very long time if you don't know bruce bruce literally is a legend like not only is basically the entire movie searching for bobby fisher with josh waitskin kind of based on him just as much as Josh which which is the coach who Ben Kingsley plays the actor right that's braced on based on Bruce Panelfini. but he also was one of the first like commentators of like a massively followed chess match which was Fisher's match versus Spassky in 72 he was a commentator for that um and he's just literally a legend i mean he was one of he was Fabiano caruana's first chess coach uh, or at least one of them right fabi now obviously the number one american and recently challenged carlson so Small digression, but you mentioned Bruce Pantolfini is listed in the IMDb, and he is a an absolute legend. So
0: Nice. Boom. Um, yeah, so we get to it. I mean, there's a whole thing. They're going through every single move. What if he plays this? 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 And um, yeah, I guess up to you to break down the rest of the chest at this time. Yeah,
1: so... So the move G4, so everyone everyone, click the link. This is your last episode. Just do it. If you're listening in your car, do not click the link. You're driving. <laughs> you're okay. Driving. Focus on what you're doing. All right. But everyone else, um, click the link. And um, so again, if you click the link we gave, you'll see that G4 is actually the main line. And again, that is what Ivanchuk played against Wolf. You can actually, if you have the engine running at the chess.com analysis link, you can see the evaluation shift back toward black. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the move 96 is the best. And it's what the what Beth plays, right? It's what um, the team recommends. And um, there's a number of moves that can be played here. We're not going to go into it. Like if he takes the knight, this and that. But ultimately, I've been letting the engine run. And I can say like they they followed very well. Borgoth pretty much plays what the computer thinks is best for Black with Rook A4. Mm-hmm. Which is a double attack on the E4 pawn. The knight on F6 and the rook hit the pawn. Yep. Uh, B3 is played though. And that's kind of like the key move for Beth. Like you let Black take this pawn. And the reason is that now after the trade on d6, bishop takes e6 is forced because if you take on d6 back, there's a move knight f8 check, which wins immediately a fork of the king and queen.
0: Oh, got it.
1: So so now this is kind of like, and I'm forgetting the exact body language like you. It's kind of a cool inspirational scene and you're sort of flashing back to like what, what all the boys said that they helped her prepare, like how he's kind of like looking at her after she plays moves, right? There's like the drama of, Like, she's kind of surprising him. He has to play Bishop takes E6. It's the only move to stop the fork. And after D takes E6, now you take back the knight. And the key is the move E7. That this move E7 is preparing to get a queen on E8, right? So white is like, white has gambited the pawn on E4 for this super powerful pass pawn on E7, right? Um, Because if you do the material count, black is actually up a pawn in the Mm. position, but the E7 pawn is a monster. Yeah. Um, so Black plays d5, that again, if you let the computer think, is the best move, but this allows the move bishop c5 to overprotect the e7 pawn. And after queen to e8, queen f3, preparing multiple things, including queen f5 check and maybe the the sacrifice we're going to see, uh, Borgov attacks the bishop on c5 with queen c6, and White just reinforces b4. She plays this move kind of quickly, and then Borgov... I remember like he kind of shuffles body language just goes back to e8. And this is this is the big moment, right, where you see the whole idea of the sacrifice come to come to the uh the thrilling end. Yeah. Queen F5 check forces the move king H8 everyone. The king has to go back. And the reason is that playing a move like G6, you would just win the knight for free if the pawn blocks the check. Got it. If the move queen to G6 would be played White can trade on g6 with the queen, king takes, and then play rook takes f6, removing the knight so that on the next move, you can get a new queen on e8. You know what? I'll even give the new link that I'm creating here as I analyze this, I'll save it. And so everyone can kind of see the variations I'm entering as they go. Um, So after king h8, we get this move, queen takes f6, which is just crazy brilliant, g takes, rook takes. And the point is there's no way to stop rook f8 check and the e7 pawn protects the f8 square So um, Beth is going to be winning back all of her material, getting a new queen on E8, and winning the game in short order after a few moves, uh, some checks, and and eventually she finds safety. She's crushing Borgov up a bishop and a rook, and uh, the game is over. Yep. So just awesome.
0: Yeah, it's a a beautiful sort of... uh, layout of of chess moves to kind of watch it being orchestrated and watch that uh analysis bar bop up and down until that critical point um in which you know the the game kind of turns and there's a point in the in the in the match in which they say you know he's not doing what he's supposed to do right uh, in, in in this and I think that's early on after the adjournment in which you know if they were kind of talking about, what the other you know match was going to be it, right what the other possibilities different. were mm-hmm. um
1: yeah and again it's i think that's partly like the drama of saying like is he actually playing the best defense the best line i mean i think that overall like the point is 96 found by the team is an improvement over a vonchuk uh wolf and it sort of puts Borgov on his heels and you can see he doesn't know what to do right and and he uh he gets, he gets, you know, he gets Harman.
0: He yeah. gets harmed. He gets Harman. He does offer a really? draw though. Funny yes. enough, um, which uh, she, of course. And,
1: and I love the scene of like, you know, a draw would be a great result <laughs> for, you know, with the English yeah. accent um, would be a great result for, you know, her journey and this and that against the world champion. But we know how much Beth Harmon likes to win. <laughs> That's true. She shakes her head and, Oh no, she does not want to draw. Um, so great. And, uh, and yeah, so then she wins, like the crowd kind of goes crazy, right when she's leaving, and we get these just final moments where you don't know what's next for Beth Harmon. What we do know is she puts on a beautiful white coat, Mm -hmm. sort of thing, right? And wanders the city. Um, Do we want to I mean, what else do we want to talk about before we bring it to those final moments of, of, of Beth Harmon in the in the Moscow Park?
0: I think that's really it. I mean, that beautiful white dress and coat that she has on reminiscent of like a white queen, right. There's a lot of, um, you know, symbolism in the outfits that she wears throughout the series. We've talked about it before. I do love this scene. Um, she's supposed to be going to the airport heading home with her handler. Um, but she says, you know, pull over the car. She wants to get out. She wants to walk in and she sees all the chess players, which we see earlier, like everyone kind of in the park playing chess, and, um, as she walks up, you know, she's sort of surrounded and like they're honored that she's there. And, right. uh, the one gentleman offers to play around a round of chess and she sits down. And I, I just love the ending here. And who knows what happens to Beth? Nobody knows. Does she stay? Let,
1: let's let's play. Right. That's what's the last thing she says. And, and yeah, her, you know, her outfit is like, it's, it's like Russian royalty. That's what I want to say. Mm. Right. It's just like, it's a super, classy like like she's like a princess almost where she is. and that's why you set up this like scene of like you don't know like does she want to go home and then you've got the crazy reddit threads of was beth Harmon a russian spy all along mm. right and or and now she's home right um it's anyway it's 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 wild stuff and but yeah it's so she's arrived she did it and so i want to share a little bit of the thoughts about the ending because if you looked at what was your initial thought i know now you've seen it a couple times but at at some point in the show, at least episodes five or six, you didn't know what the ending was going to be. Assuming you haven't read the book by Walter Travis, again, great book. Give a shout out to that. We were called out on that in some of the comments. So again, just you know, you can you can read the book. But if, assuming you had no idea, like, would this have a dark ending or a happy ending? Right. At what point? What were you betting on?
0: You know, I I think I'm rooting for Beth the entire time. You know, right. I think that just because there is such a dark pass to it and even here you know as you're going into this adjournment like town shows up just like uh, Cleo showed up or Chloe Cleo and uh showed up and you're like well is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing for her you actually don't know up until that point and to me I think it was the Benny call that really sort of I was like okay now it's go time because you don't know I mean Beth has been in these situations before where she obviously has grown so much as a player um, I think that learning so much about the past of what has happened right it's almost like she needed a win right i mean it's like all this stuff she went through with with a mom with her home with mr scheibel in this episode you know in this episode alone it's like to me it's like almost it's it's her time um so i think i was rooting i I think that i knew that there was going to be a happy ending at the end of this but even still kind of up until that point i wasn't 100 percent sure
1: yeah yeah i was asking because again like the chess world was pretty split when it happened. I remember a tweet from Jan Nepomniashy, um, top, top Russian grandmaster, shout out to Jan Nepo as, as we often call him and a friend of mine and, and plays, you know, does a lot of our events. But so Jan, um, Jan tweeted like that. He was kind of, he's disappointed and he kind of thought the ending was unrealistic given like all the scars and all the trauma and all the potential, Character traits, like the behavioral patterns that we've seen from this character, for her to like rise above and be victorious, he thought was kind of like unrealistic. And and I said I, I I understood what he was saying, but I thought like I thought that was like partly what gave it a twist ending because I would say at some point, even though I was rooting for Beth, I kind of thought that that it would probably end with. Just knowing, I don't know, maybe it's just modern cinema, Motsy. I don't know. Like, what is it? I expected there to be a dark ending. I really did. Mm. And there wasn't. And so may, So I told John, I said, honestly, like, I understand what you're saying, but I got to admit, that was partly what I kind of enjoyed about the ending was I didn't see it coming. I didn't see that. I thought maybe she rises above and, you know, our protagonist our protagonist, eventually, you know, defeats, defeats her rival. But I didn't know that I didn't think it would be maybe as clean and inspirational as it ultimately was, right? That Mm -hmm. she overcame demons, she faced her past, she seems to have put the substance abuse behind her. She she achieved this incredible feat and she's like super happy and just like this scene of like, it's like, it's like she's wearing this white coat, but it's like a scene of like light, right? It's like she's just like arrived, right? Yeah. And I didn't expect it to be such a happy ending in that sense. So I would say that while I understand like the, the perspective that maybe that was an interesting bow to tie on it and, and Yon's point of view, like maybe an unrealistic bow. I kind of thought that was what made it kind of interesting was I didn't see it coming in such a clean way. So I, I just wanted to say, I was curious your thoughts because I think that that was just, you know, an interesting way to end it. And will it lead to a sequel? I don't know. They certainly leave it very open-ended. I think that um, whenever they do things like this, they always have to wait for the success because ultimately in our world, money talks and everything else walks as we know. Yeah. Um, it was hugely successful. Will there be more? Who knows? But I will say that the ending caught me pleasantly by surprise that it was so clean. And that was one of the things I actually liked about it. Even though I understand Yon's point of view that, that maybe, maybe a character with this type of past hasn't seen the last of her demons. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's always, it's always hard when you watch so many movies and, they're like, oh, this this rom is gonna have a happy ending, and this one's gonna right. have a happy ending, and like, oh, this, you know, oh, and then at the end there's a twist, and someone stabs that person. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, okay. Like you just, you just you're like, okay, great. You know, and so I think to this, this to me was a nice conclusion because there was such a big struggle, right? Had had Beth won one of those games earlier, then that wouldn't have been such an epic conclusion. But this is her third try at beating Borgov, and she's grown so much through the years and as a chess player. And up into this point, and she's got a team behind her now. These are things that didn't happen in earlier matches, where Borgov had those. You know, he had that advantage um, there. So to me, this was a very nice kind of conclusion. While it was nice, it is a limited series, as they say. They didn't—they don't say season one. They say a limited series. So as as we could imagine, at least the initial thought going into into this is that this is it. This is the end. And if this is how it ends, I, I am happy with it, Danny. Yeah,
1: I I, I agree. And it, it was an awesome ride. And this podcast was also quite the ride. We started off. We brought back Coffeehouse Blunders, Wild Twenty Twenty. Turns out Dan gets COVID midway through. Didn't see that coming. Mm-mm. Has a podcast. Is he going to die after that podcast? Nobody knew. Nobody right? knew. We <laughs> the Motts squeezes every possible reference to the Endgame in the last Endgame. The Endgame of our of our podcast season two is now, and. uh and we did it, man. We did it.
0: And that is another chapter in the Coffee House Blunders saga. Now we may come back for a season three. Danny and I have been floating around some ideas. We want to hear from you. Go to blunders.fm, leave a comment on the page there, hit a contact button or leave comment on the YouTube. We've been floating some ideas. We're not going to tell you what those ideas are, but Danny and I have been thinking about some stuff. So definitely keep the podcast floating around in your podcast player. But Danny, I want to thank you for your expertise in every single move and every single analysis from your real world perspective of living through a lot of this in your life. And I know that everyone that has listened um, to the podcast up until this point that I know has really enjoyed your perspective and a tiny bit of mine.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. And you, uh, I think that it has to be really noted again, that even though I'm giving the chess breakdown, Motz, Motz is the guy driving the ship and he really put frankly, more, more, more probably effort and prep into what chest we were going to break down. And then I sit down and act like I knew it all along. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been awesome. And, um, and all right, man, TGIF, assuming a lot of people are listening to this on a Friday when we record it, enjoy your weekend, everybody. And like Matt said, please, uh, Please leave a comment, give us feedback, share the podcast please. It's a lot of fun when people find it. We love we love it when people see the content and even dive into the first season and uh thank you Mozzi for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it and appreciate you bearing with me. Now, I will say if you want to stick around for a special end game you can stick around after the credit roll here with little music outro as Danny breaks down my first game in over two years with my good friend and listener of the show, Frank Krueger. as you see that I crush him and I'll link to that in the show notes, but thanks everyone for hanging out. And this has been yet another Coffee House Blunders. All right. And we're back. And Danny, I just linked you to my first chess game on chess.com. M G in two Twist years.
1: Ending. How is Frank doing, by the way? Are you guys still doing your podcast?
0: Oh yeah. Merge conflict. Okay. Every every single week, every Monday. Releases. Cool. It's going. Merge good. Conflict,
1: yeah. mm-hmm. The um I know you've got you've also got the one with our boy Ravette. Yep. Um, and so uh so you're you're a podcast okay, so here we go. You're developing your pieces, first of all. Love it, love the nights out. Bishop G4 um suns out guns out uh pawns out Knights out that's the chess chess <laughs> way we we do that um okay so D5 a little bit too aggressive if we go to move five from from our boy Frank he's he's opening the center before his king has found safety and that's gonna come back to bite him you don't do that against my boy Matsi. H3. This should be six. So now he backs up, which note that you don't miss a beat. You recognize he unpins your knight and you gobble that pawn, baby girl. Nom, nom, nom. Love that (laughs) queen F six, not Frank's best work. (laughs) No (laughs) D four. Look at you, dude, you're, you are playing well though. Jokes aside, like big center or go home. I like to say, bring the knights out. You're developing your pieces. Yeah. I want to, I want to believe that at some point you're going to get castled. queen H five is the first move by you that I'm not a huge fan of because at this point you just need to get the king out of the way because the position's about to blow open and the sooner that that king is gone that e1 squares available for your rook and not your your leader you're going to be in great shape so queen h5 is a little risky by you g6 queen e2 e <B5>, 5 okay wow <laughs> okay uh,
0: your qu- question or no 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 i mean i will say this you'll see me castle later but yeah. much, much later, because I got myself in trouble. What I, what I read right. when I go back and I look at H five, so I move nine here and, and I have the analysis board in the yeah, show queen, notes.
1: Queen H five, yeah.
0: Queen H five. When I look at that, it actually takes me a significant amount of time to castle in this game, right. and uh, to to get that king a move in. And I right. realize looking back at the game that that is when maybe I should have, have, have played that move. Right. So. No, I, yeah, a
1: good point. And right then was the key moment because after, after that, after G six, well, there's a temple on your queen, you can't castle. You got to move your queen. Then he plays B five, which is a temple on your Bishop. And you got to deal with that. You actually could have taken the pawn on B five, believe it or not. And then queen takes, yep. which would have attacked his King and his Bishop. But, yep. but either way, what I'm saying is I, I agree with your, your thought process, even if some of the moves, you know, aren't the best, like overall you were right. Like after you missed that chance to castle, He attacks your queen, he attacks your bishop, then he takes the pawn on e4, and and you got to deal with that. So you take with the queen. So your mindset became very much about all the tempi. But I would say overall, the same lesson would be for Frank if he was the one here, right? Like instead of the move bishop d5, for example, move 12, he should be playing a move like knight e7. Like develop his knight, defend defend the position like the c6 pawn, and what does knight e7 prepare for him to get castled, right? So if I was to say like an overarching Lesson for both you, which is very common for players of this level is, you know, don't underestimate how critical that is, because with more accurate moves, you know, you both could have been in more trouble, Frank, even much, much more so than you. Um, But you take on D5 with the queen, then you win the knight and totally can't begrudge that because at this point, this point, you shouldn't castle, you should take that free piece because of how much the position has changed. Um And then you take another bishop. So you, you were, man, you were like Pac-Man. This is like, uh speaking of which, by the way, we got this old school like big old like joystick pac-man that i hooked up to our big tv with like an adapter with like the yellow and red whatever auxiliary cables into like an hdmi Mm -hmm. and the girls are obsessed with pac-man i love it that's awesome um so then queen e6 is played and you trade queens and so at this point this point you've done a great job because you're up so many pieces oh and then you fork him on d6 you are a nasty (laughs) dirty dog you are all over it at this point on move 20 it doesn't matter if you castle it or not you know you've you've won you've won the house as they say yeah. and it continues to be good eventually you do get castled i see and, and you take it home good yeah. stuff man i mean honestly i think that the lesson was for sure frank opened the center way too aggressively needs to prioritize development and getting castled you kind of you kind of could have lost the thread because you didn't do it but overall his path was 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 set for doom because he continued to play aggressively and never got his king safe
0: yep yep yeah, yep so that it was it was a good one he did lose on time but i think that we all know that he really just lost yeah you were you were up
1: plus uh you were up a measly 25 points according to yeah. the computer in the final position
0: so. <laughs> yeah my favorite move was the fork i think that was you know i i i saw it you know and i, I think that doing a lot of the chess analysis on the show, why well, kind of bring this up and, and looking and watching a lot of what we've done is, is that, you know, there's these opportunities on the board that sometimes present themselves. So taking a little bit of time to find it. And I think that that was, I don't really remember myself actively engaging to have a fork like that and look and to get material. So I do think that even yeah. though I haven't played chess, For a long time, I've watched a lot. I've watched a lot of analysis that you've done on chess.com and and on Twitch. And of course, and breaking down some of these games in the Queen's Gambit, making me realize of of how the pieces move across the board and the opportunity that that they can present themselves, because in that move, I could have done some other things. I could have brought out my bishop or I could have, you know, I could have, um, um, you know, done some other move there, castled for instance. Yeah, but you were you had a heads up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyways. No, I,
1: I, a great, great description. And I think um sometimes that's how chess goes. Like people get really into it and then you kind of fall out. Then maybe like the chess edutainment that is online kind of piques your interest again. And then you come back and maybe you're looking at the board a little bit, you know, differently. And I think that's a really good description. And, and the fact that you, I mean, you, it's no disrespect to Frank. You're, you know, obviously better player, more experienced. But I think despite my kind of critiques of you playing Queen H5, like overall, that was like, You just kind of crushed it, right? And you didn't miss almost any of your tactical opportunities. You you saw the fork, you know, you won the other, you know, you won the bishop. So I think that that's a good example of just kind of having a clear head, seeing the tactics in front of you, not deciding what you're going to do in advance, but really just seeing the board in front of you. And way to go, man. Seriously. Chess expert,
0: bots, James (laughs) Montemagno. There you have it. Well, thank you, Danny, for breaking that down. And I'm I'm glad that I did okay in your eyes. That's that's all. I can die happy. My end game is now complete. (sighs) So you, you
1: you 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 didn't need to do it, but you did it anyway. You know, um, that's what I do. Love you, man. This has been fun.
0: All right, talk to you later. Bye.